Hello and welcome once again. As we continue our Bible study uh, in the book of Matthew, we're going through a chapter at a time, verse by verse, working through it together. Um, And we talk every week about the advantages of reading through and looking through the, the Bible in context like this because it helps you to hold on to uh, what's happening throughout the story and, and uh, why things are taking place the way they are. And we're, we're, we're moving well into the book now. Um, next week, Matthew chapter 21, is the triumphal entry. Um, so we're actually on a pretty good timetable because we'll, uh, that's what, what, kind of what, what the week's all about. So, so we'll be hitting that next week, and we'll see how quickly things change in the last chapters of the book. The last chapters record a very short period of time. Up until then, these chapters have been taking quite a while. There's, there's been time that's happened, but now, now we're moving up to the, the last week. And in fact, in this chapter, he's talking about moving to Jerusalem. So have in mind, as we read the events in Matthew chapter 20, that Jesus is preparing for the big week uh, uh, that he knows is coming. And we know all of the events of that week and how how quickly things change from, from the triumphal entry to crucifixion. And so all this is already going on uh, as Jesus is, is moving through uh, this particular chapter. Now, um, we have looked at, in, in the scope of things, we've looked at the birth of Jesus and all of the events that surrounded that and all the prophecies being fulfilled. And we've, we, we took the, and looked into you know, how he escaped and uh, his parents took him away and then brought him back and uh, all according to, to prophecy. And then we, we've seen uh, the, the baptism of Jesus and, and how amazing that was. We, we saw the temptation that he went through by the evil one, uh, how, how coming through that and being filled with the Spirit, and, uh, and then the temptation that happened. Uh, and then uh, off he goes uh, as he comes back, ready to go into his ministry. The Sermon on the Mount takes place in Matthew 5 through 7, where Jesus basically undoes the last couple hundred years of Pharisaical teaching has taken place that has made it basically impossible to have relationship with God. And he did that by saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you, which has made him very unpopular with the Pharisees, who from pretty much that point in time have been trying to figure out how to kill him. And yet at the same time, all these miracles are happening, and I know they're happening, and the crowd knows they're happening, and wherever Jesus goes, these huge crowds follow. We see how Jesus um, backed up the things that he said in the Sermon on the Mount with miracles and signs and wonders in, in chapters 8 and on and, and uh, how those things happen. And then uh, some chapters into the book, we see where there's a, there's a shift now. And even though Jesus is still doing tremendous things, rather than trying to demonstrate what he said to be true, he's already done more than enough for that. He's moved out of his compassion to minister to people. And the Pharisees continue to trap and test and plot to try and kill him along the way. Now, last week we, we talked about Matthew chapter 19, and I said that in, in Matthew chapter 19, the discussion is all about the greatest. Who's the greatest? What does it mean to be great? What does it look like to be great? And, and that there's this underlying thing happening the whole time with the disciples uh, that are moving through the process. And last week we talked about the, the, the two things that Jesus challenged, which was uh, sometimes the people think that the way to greatness is through the law, we looked at that, and the other way is through being good, that these are the things that you do. Uh, and we're going to tackle one more uh, today in Matthew chapter 20, but let's go ahead and read Matthew chapter 20 together. It's in your bulletin. I'm going to read it out loud. I'm reading out of the NIV. There's few Bibles if you want to grab those and read along, or you can follow along in your own Bible. Matthew chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven 
Whenever you see that too, it's like, for the kingdom of heaven, like it's a parable, okay? That's how the parables start. For the kingdom of heaven is like, and this is a great parable, and we'll talk about it more in a minute. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day and doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came, and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received the denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do with, what I, with my own money, what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will contemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. I'm going to comment. I'm going off the text. See, don't, Jesus knew exactly what was coming. And he kept telling his guys what was coming. And guess what? They were not prepared. Remember, they could not get out of their paradigm. Their, their thinking of what was going to happen was so different that even though Jesus point-blank told them, this is what's about to happen, they were still all taken completely by surprise because they couldn't hear it in the process. Verse 20. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus called them together. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want for me to do? What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, We want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight and followed him. Blessed be the word of the Lord. 
So again, Matthew 19 and 20 all have this underlying concept of this struggle of greatness. What does it mean to be great? What does it mean uh, to... Uh, what is it that so many people are striving towards all the time? What is it uh, that, that pushes people to want to... Um, you know, to see who, who is indeed the greatest. It's the struggle with the disciples. And it's illustrated so well here. You know, you've got these 12 guys who are... You've got 12 people together, and they're always going to be vying for position. And we see it particularly between Peter and John and James, those three. We're always after each other about who was the greatest in this whole process. And, and uh, John and James pull a, uh, pull a fast one in this particular chapter, and we'll look at it in a minute, because they get mommy involved, uh, which I think is funny. And... Uh, and which really makes the other guys upset big time because they had their mom come to try and get their get the best spots. But this was how important it was. See, to what, what does it look like? What is it that happens? And and why so often are are we compelled um, to to sort of want to be over and above? Because uh, that's what they're talking about here. It's like being over everybody else. And what does that look like? And what's the push for that in our lives? And and how? Desperate some people get to, to make that happen uh, in their lives and, and uh, to what lengths they might go to, to sort of, in, in, in fact, really not caring about anybody else to get what they think they want and where they need to be. And it, happens, it still happens uh, today all the time. We see this, this push and this drive constantly for, for more and for position and power and authority. And, and primarily that's the issue. And, and what we've been talking about is how people attempt to achieve it. And that we looked at a group of people who attempt to achieve that by, by following the law in Matthew 19. And we looked at others who, who attempt to achieve that being great is by being good. You know, doing, do, doing those things well. And in this uh, chapter, we started out with a story of people who... who uh, it's all about the way of work. That, 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 that if you work hard enough, then that ought to be what entitles you to being above everybody else. See, it's another, it's another approach. And that's what the parable in, in the first verses is all about. And Jesus is really sort of taking that parable and he's expanding on the last comment he made in Matthew 19, which is about the first being last and the last being first. And see, it's the, the story is all about that comment at the end of Matthew chapter 19. What, what does that mean? And he's going to explain it. And he does it with this verse. And so, so Jesus pictures this landowner loaner who went out early in the morning and he hired men to work in the harvest and then he went out later and he hired some more and said come in and he went out some more and he brought them in all through the day and they all came and the last group that he brought in only worked for an hour and then he paid them first and he paid them a denarius is what he's promised the guys who worked in the first place now here's what's funny because if you're like most of us i think the first time i read it it didn't seem fair did it that somebody that worked an hour got the same as somebody that worked all day. That doesn't seem fair, right? Well, that's not right. And so the guys who had been hired to work for Denarius, they were, they were upset. Well, why, why did those people get paid the same as us? We've done all the hard work. We've, we've made this happen. We've, borne the, we've, we've done it all. And, and the picture is, uh, see, it's not about none of us, because we can all do this. We can all get the idea that because we've been doing it for a long time, we should have a greater reward than somebody else. And see, that's a, a bad situation in the kingdom. And it causes a lot of problems. Like the workers in Jesus' parable, we've all been invited to serve in God's kingdom. See, this is the story. 
What's important is our response to the king when he calls us to our individual tasks. And greatness isn't measured by how long or how hard we work to try and gain a reward. It's all measured by response, see? It's it's not about... This is where we get messed up. And so the the people that... So... (laughs) See, the, the thing is, that, goes, that flies contrary to everything because we're used to an entirely different situation. Understand how hard this stuff was for the disciples to grasp. Because they would look at a story like that and they'd be like, that doesn't make any sense at all. But he's, he's trying to chip this away from them. And we have to do the same thing because we, we, we're all messed up by this stuff. We, we have trouble with understanding power, position, and authority because of the fact that we look at it in a very secular way. And Jesus was trying to break all that. And he said, look, and the kingdom of God is nothing like that. And, and the first will be last and the last will be first. And the greatest among you will be a servant among you. And the, the guys couldn't get it, right? Because they're still arguing for position and power. So he tells them this story. And then he, he takes them right after the story. He takes his 12 guys aside and he's talking to them. And he's telling them again about his death. He said, look, we're on our way to Jerusalem. And here's what's going to happen when we get there. I'm going to be betrayed and, and flogged and mocked and handed over to the Gentiles, and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. Don't worry. I'm going to raise again on the third day. They're still thinking about who's the greatest. They, they kind of have heard Jesus say that a few times now, and they're like, mm-hmm. and that's not their issue. They're like, well, we're just trying to figure out who gets this, the best seats in, in the new kingdom. And, and, and he, he, he just looks at them, and he, he continues to tell them, to prepare them so they'll, they'll get the process. But I think it's so important that he makes that point now because in, in the very next thing that happens, uh, the James and John's mom shows up. And they've asked her to come. And, you know, I, they've gone and said, look, we're, we're in this struggle primarily with Peter, but we want to have, have the best two spots. And uh, Jesus isn't listening to us. And every time we try and talk to him about it, he just talks about dying. And... Uh, we think maybe you can break through because you're our mom and you can talk a little sense to him and see if you can get those best spots. So the mom shows up and comes before Jesus and the sons are with her. They're, they're around. They're, they're in earshot at least because Jesus turns and looks at them after the mom asks the question. And those two seats represent power and honor, see? And, and uh, uh, she's, she's sort of in there politicking for her sons. And uh, Jesus says... Uh, to them, look, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink from the cup I'm about to drink? He's telling them about what's coming up. He's saying, I keep telling you what's going to happen. You think you can do that? Oh, sure we can. He said, well, you're going to, but it's not going to be the way you expect. But it's not for me to give out those seats. Only God can do that. But the, the power, see, they're yearning for power and position. That's this whole thing of greatness. And it's, it's still the struggle most people face today. It's, it's all about power and it's about position, and it's about control. And these things impact all of our lives, and it impacts the kingdom and the things that take place in the kingdom and in the church. So the other ten disciples hear about it, and they're, they're really upset. And Jesus takes this to perhaps teach the most important thing about spiritual leadership that he'll ever teach, and, and uh, the, the, the best part of it recorded in the New Testament, certainly found in these verses in, 20, in verses 25 through 28. I want to read it to you again. He says, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials 
exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. See, it's this, it's this whole different picture between what we normally think of as leadership in a secular way. That's why I use the Gentiles. And as what servant leadership looks like. And, and um, see, because leaders, leadership in, in a lot of places has always looked about this idea about power and authority and control. And, and that this power demands the right to command others. And think about how it impacts us. Now, when we, when we talk about leaders, when we think about our leaders in our culture today, um, it, it's sort of like the, the TV cameras focus in on the great seal of the President of the United States. And, and everything gets quiet. And, and the band in the background plays Hail to the Chief. And the announcer's voice comes in and says, Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States... And, and we feel that that is, is what presents true leadership and, and greatness. And it's what being a leader is all about. But what Jesus is saying is that, that He would direct our attention to someone standing off camera in overalls and with uh, working tools of trade uh, on His side. And, and He would be the leader in, in the process. But understand our, our definitions and where we're getting them from and what they happen. And so we have this concept of leadership that that causes leaders to separate themselves from people and to be held in a different sort of realm. And out of that, they get power. They, they, they assume their power to tell others what to do. And they say it, and it happens. They, they go and do it. But see, it, we, in, in that circumstance, leaders are elevated to position. Look, that's what the disciples are looking for. They want that position. People, that's what we think we want. We want this position... Uh, uh, up here. Well, Jesus says the kingdom is nothing like that. And, and rather than creating a relational distance, which is what happens in that format, in the secular format, in, in the kingdom we want to develop a relational closeness so that the, the leaders aren't different and separate from the people. It's never intended to be that way. And, and that the way that we become leaders in the kingdom, the way that all of us lead in the kingdom, is by serving. How do you become a servant leader in the kingdom? You serve. Yeah, you, be, you, you just do it. And you do it with people. And you, and you show people and they do it. And, and that's the process. That was the process of Jesus. He never allowed himself, look, he never allowed himself to be thrust into the position they wanted to thrust him into. They wanted to make him a political leader, a secular leader, and he refused. He continued to serve them. He said, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And the, it, this is the hardest thing, I think, that we... We have to grasp in this whole concept. Because even in the church, there's often struggles for power and position. And, and, and you know, when I say the church, it doesn't just mean this little group. I mean the church, all right? The, the, the whole church. You see about it all the time. You see where all these struggles happen. You see all these dynamics in place. And everybody's struggling for position and power. When in fact, that shouldn't be a case in the church. Because the, the, the biggest place to get is the servant. It, it should never be about status. And yet the whole thing's become about status. And unfortunately, we, we sometimes elevate people in the church and we give them status and then other people start wanting status too. And so now it becomes, well, 
well, you know, this, this position looks like, you know, one of the better positions, and that's what we all have to ascribe to. And it's never supposed to be that way. We're just supposed to do, like when Jesus said, he invited people to come in, in that parable, right? The, the, the vineyard owner just said, come in and work, and I'll, and, and I'll pay you. And they, were, they just responded and went to work. And he kept bringing more people in, and everybody just did what they were supposed to do. And, and they were all the same. See, the, the part of that story was, it's just about responding to Jesus and doing what you're supposed to do. There's no, there's no, you don't work your way into greatness. You just do what you're supposed to do. And, and everybody else does what they're supposed to do. And that's the process. And there's no, ooh, in, in the kingdom. It, it just doesn't happen. And so we, we have to sort of, you know, begin to understand that. Because a lot of struggles in the church happen for people fighting and wrestling for power that should never take place. Because it shouldn't be vested that way in the church. Uh, the leaders in the church are supposed to serve. That's what, what makes them leaders. If, as soon as, and the reason it becomes an issue, though, is because our models are secular. That leaders look like they're above everybody else. And so the church, rather than going the way that it should and following the model of the kingdom, takes on the secular model. And all of a sudden you have leaders in the church that are separate from the people. That was never supposed to happen. Peter's admonition was to the shepherds, listen, get out there among the flock, take care of the flock. Uh, it's, it's, it's never about getting distance. And yet the church is, is set up all over the place with layers of leadership and distance and, and difficulty and and that people that are considered leaders are left way up here instead of the, the just being part of the people. And so, so the Christian leader has to be uh, willing to be one of the, the, the people in, in the group. And, and rather than demanding conformity, the Christian leader uh, it, it doesn't coerce or manipulate or use guilt. They get people involved in the process they lead by doing. And then people join in. And do it with them. And so um, uh, this just uh, really makes a big difference in the way that we look at things. And that's what Jesus is trying to teach them. And so we, in the kingdom, we lead by serving. And that's the whole point of that part of the story. The powerful verse, Jesus says, Whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then in this, this last example, this, this amazing example. Because um, the disciples, this whole thing is all about greatness in Jesus' present kingdom. And he's answered them. Jesus has now really fully answered their, their questions. Greatness involves humbling ourselves and taking our place as, as one of God's little children. He, he's done this over and over again now so that they can get it. Greatness involves accepting others as little ones too and seeking to restore those who go astray, having patience, always being willing to let forgiveness wash away the hurts uh, that sin brings into our lives. Uh, greatness also involves rejecting the destructive ways in which religious people often uh, seek greatness, legalism, and good works and good deeds. Hard work. So those are the big three. That's what, see, those are the big three of the religious trap. Legalism, um, good deeds, and hard work. Often people think that's what's, what's set them up. I'm okay because I follow the rules and I'm, I'm, I'm a good person and I work real hard at it. It's not kingdom. It's, it's secular. It's, it's, a, it's a wrong thinking. And uh, in Jesus' prescription, it's, it's you, you lead by serving. You just do it. 
be one of those people who choose to drink the cup of Jesus and give your life up for the sake of others. That's what it means to be in the kingdom. It's not about us. That is so different a dynamic than most of us are used to. It's really not about us. And yet, we tend to always make it about us. It's not fair. It's, it's, not, it's not about fair. It's, 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 uh, it's about following Jesus and doing what He's invited us to do. And so this last incident, here's what's happening. There's these two blind guys on the side of the road. And Jesus and, and His entourage are walking down the street. And um, these two guys hear who it is, because they, they can't see who it is, but they can hear who it is. And they start crying out real loud, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And see, the crowd, what's the crowd do? Shh, be quiet. Don't bother Jesus. <laughs> which, which is... You gotta quit messing with him, all right? Just stay over where you're at. Don't mess with Jesus. So, Jesus stops. And, and look, here, here, here's what fascinates me. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's heading every step that he takes. He knows exactly what he's heading to. He's already told everybody what he's heading to. He's heading towards the trial. All the stuff that's going to happen in the crucifixion. And he's aware. He knows what's about to take place. Every step is a step closer to that event. And, and these, he's burdened now by these great crowds that really just don't care about anything but themselves. He's, he's, he's got the disciples that don't get it. And, and this is the group that he's with. And, he, and yet he stops. See, because this is a picture of greatness. See, we would just get frustrated at that point. We're like, you know, nobody gets it and nobody cares and I'm just done with them all. But Jesus stops and, and he, he does this. He, he hears... These guys calling out for help. And he has compassion on them, and he touches their eyes, and immediately they receive sight and followed him. Look, he stopped for the individual in the crowd. He cared for the outcast that the crowd considered worthless. See, that's greatness. That's the picture that he was giving the guys. That story's in there on purpose, because it demonstrated that that, that was greatness, to touch in compassion and to give ourselves for others as their servant. For Jesus' sake. That's what the kingdom looks like. And that's what he's trying to get at in Matthew chapter 20. So, think about that for a while. And uh, next week, Matthew chapter 21, the triumphal entry. Things start to really pick up now as we move into the last eight chapters of the book of Matthew. It'll go pretty fast. All right? If you're watching by video, thank you for watching. If you need prayer, email us, call us, write us. We'll get to you as quickly as we can. Those of you here, why don't you go ahead and pass me up your prayer request. We'll pray for you here. If you're in Williston, they'll pray for you there. God bless you guys.